0: Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great educational website? Then go to McClanahanacademy.com. That's McClanahanacademy.com. Enroll free of charge. Get a free class 10 minutes of American history when you do enroll. Look, I've got awesome classes there classes on the Constitution, classes on the Civil War, classes on secession, classes on American history. A whole slew of great stuff just waiting for you. Go to McClanahanacademy.com, enroll and get a real history education. A new poll shows that 66 million Americans are open to a national divorce. I'll explain why this is significant on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audio book of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. You've already heard about that. Great website. You can get a free class when you enroll And of course, purchase classes there that keeps this podcast free of charge. You can also click on the support tab at brianmclanahan.com, throw a few pennies my way, or go to YouTube and click on the super thanks button. If you're watching on YouTube, you can uh, throw a few pennies my way that way. But as always, painlessly, you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Give it that five-star review wherever you can. Leave a text review where you can or comment on YouTube for the algorithm. And as always, share the podcast around on social media. Let people know you like it That gets more ears and eyes on the show. And send me those show requests if you want to hear something special. All right, well, this is episode 800. 800 episodes, hard to believe. And it's fitting that we're going to talk about secession and thinking locally and acting locally on the 800th episode. Right. That's the theme of the show. And I mentioned at the top that that 66 million Americans now are at least contemplating a national divorce. And this is a significant number. It's significant because we've now moved past the quarter threshold for people considering this. Now, that's not the quarter of the U.S. population, but it's over a quarter of the U.S. potential voting population that has decided that perhaps a national divorce is in the best interest of the United States moving forward to maintain peace in the United States. Now, if you had polled that, or given a poll on this, say, 30 years ago, if this was 1993, I think that the number would have been maybe uh, a tenth of the population, something like that, at the most. And I say that because uh, people have started coming around to this position gradually over the last three decades. It's taken time, but you're seeing more and more people open to the possibility of some type of decentralization in America. Now, There's a way to solve this. If we had real federalism and we actually adhered to the original Constitution, you would not see these numbers at all. Because what that would mean is that the states, as they're supposed to be able to do, would handle all of the issues that are most contentious across the United States. So, for example, in Florida, and Ron DeSantis, the Florida legislature and Ron DeSantis do what they're doing in Florida, which is all perfectly legal, by the way, Nobody in Massachusetts will get upset. You don't want to know why? Because it doesn't affect Massachusetts at all. The real problem, though, is that Ron DeSantis wants to be president. And as I mentioned on this show, I think he'd be a better governor than a president for a lot of reasons. We should be ignoring who's president. They should really be irrelevant, right? But because uh, Gavin Newsom, right? If Gavin Newsom in California wants to, in in the California legislature, want to have their socialist utopia and all the problems that has, well, they can do that in California. But the problem is, Gavin Newsom wants to be president. Of course, he wants to force that on the rest of the United States. You see, the real issue in America is not what happens at the state and local level. Even though you get news stories about it, and people whine and cry and complain, and they throw fits over what happens in some state, they don't really, most people really don't care what happens in some other state. As long as it's not happening in their state, they don't care what happens somewhere else. It's when all of these people are elevated to national politics, right, to a national position, that people start to get pretty upset about it because they understand with the powers of the general government being what they are today, that we're in a real pickle should some of these people get into office and get into power and start forcing this, whatever the agenda is, left or right, on the rest of the United States. And so this is really the issue. And I said you can solve all the secession talk and nullification talk and all these things if we just had a central government that was constrained as originally intended by the Constitution, by the language of the Constitution. When I talk about originalism, this is what I mean. Now, of course, you've got all the 14th Amendment quote-unquote originalists running around now who are claiming to be real originalists because... Well, we have the 1868 Constitution. This is what they're calling it now. The 1868 Constitution. I talked about that before on this show. They're ignoring the original Constitution because it doesn't matter to them. Yes, so they all understand that the original Constitution would basically destroy all of their nationalist dreams. The original Constitution was not a national document, it did not create a national government, its powers were extremely limited. If we followed it the way it was originally intended to be followed and ratified, <clears throat> but the issue then, of course, is we get the Fourteenth Amendment, and how do we reconcile originalism with the Fourteenth Amendment? And so you have people like Randy Barnett, who, of course, would call himself a Fourteenth 14th, uh, 14th Amendment originalist. I don't, I don't uh, think that's productive because all you're doing is opening the door to the left, and you can sit there and say, well, you know, we got to have grades of this. It's it's like the West Coast Straussians; they don't get it. I talked about that with Michael Anton in National Divorce. All the mental contortions they have to go through to try to figure out how to call National Divorce not treason because they've boxed themselves in for all these years by saying that secession was treason. All the Lincolnites who have called secession treason. Now, no, no, no. That, that's treason. But what we're doing is not treason. You know what? The left won't care. They're going to call you traitors anyways. You see, so from the beginning, you should have been saying this isn't treason because again the, all that's going to happen is all the all the left wing Lincolnites are going to say no 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 you are committing treason you're just a neo confederate and anton can try to you know dialogue his way out of this but it's not going to work the lefties will never ever give in on that position because guess who created it well the republicans so so called conservatives right so these are the things that we need to think about but i find that number 66 million Americans. Let me explain why that's significant. That's now a third of the voting population. 66 million. We have about 250 million voters or potential voters in the United States. So 66 million is a third of the voting population. Now, it's stronger in some places. If you were to poll this, uh, give, give this poll in, in places like Texas, I'm sure it would be higher. Um and looking at the data, and I'll go through the article that was written about this. It's in a British newspaper. Looking at the data, of course, it's stronger among conservatives than it is leftists. Um, so this is a really interesting poll, though. There is one part of this of this uh, piece that's just kind of silly, a throwaway line that they had. But I'll, I'll mention that in a minute. But 66 million significant. Uh, I don't know where we go with this. And, and again, I'm not so certain that Americans are really ready for what this would entail. Uh, some type of, of secession is going to be messy some type of decentralization outside the confines of federalism would be messy uh, the economic ramifications would be pretty high now we can we can discuss how maybe this could happen and not be so disruptive uh, you know if a state like Texas were to leave the Union it has a very large economy it could, it could create its own its own economy its own money its own currency it could do all these things very quickly I think and um, you know, be fairly stable, but it would there would be some disruption. Of course, all the people that are worried about services, government services, and other things, uh, that would have to be something that would be addressed. You would also have situations where you know federal property would have to be purchased or these kind of things. So there would be a lot of negotiation involved in this. By the way, this is something the South tried to do in 1860. South Carolina, in particular, they had commissioners sitting in Washington D.C. just before Sumter was fired upon willing to negotiate and purchase Fort Sumter. They were willing to negotiate and purchase federal property in South Carolina. They wanted to negotiate and have a peaceful separation. This is all they wanted to do. You had Confederate commissioners sitting in Washington, D.C., hoping to avoid war. When people say that the South didn't try to negotiate, they did. They did. They tried to negotiate from the beginning. Let's have a negotiated settlement here. Let's, let's have some type of resolution of this that doesn't involve bloodshed. We don't want it. There was, a, there was a negotiated truce essentially from November of 1860 until April of 1861 when Lincoln decided to send troops to Fort Pickens. For months, there were armed camps in Florida that weren't shooting at each other. It was negotiated. It was kind of like a negotiated truce. All right, we're not going to shoot at you. You don't shoot at us until all this is settled. We're going to try to get the fort purchased. We're going to try... so they were trying to negotiate with the federal government. Lincoln said no, and he said no because, of course, he was concerned about the economic ramifications of secession for no other reason. Secession from an abolitionist position in 1861, secession solved the problem, and you even had northern newspapers in November of 1860 and into the early 1861 claiming to uh, want the South to go in peace. It solved the issue for abolitionists. The slavery would be bottled up in the South. It couldn't go anywhere else. They didn't control the territories. It actually ended the issue. But why wouldn't they support it? Well, because a free trade South on the border of the United States would have cut the revenue of the United States substantially. Because the British, the French, everyone else would have traded with the South. And then the South would have exported goods into the North. It would have cut their revenue substantially. So there's a lot going on here. But let me get into this piece. Again, 66 million Americans. So uh, this this is, like I said, at uh, the Daily Mail. So the title is 66 million in U.S.-backed Marjorie Taylor Greene's Call for National Divorce Between Blue and Red States. A a shocking number of Americans agree with Georgia Firebrand, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, that the U.S. needs a national divorce where red and blue states split into two separate nations. 20% of U.S. adults, which amounts to some 66 million people, want to call it quits on the 247-year-old union, a poll of some 1,018 U.S. adults carried out by LPSOS last week found. So or IPSOS, I don't know if it's L or I. I guess it's IPSOS. Uh, so we have a a poll of a thousand U.S. adults, but taken out how that would work. They're they're estimating about twenty percent of the U.S. population. But if you look at that as you know voting population, that's over a third. It's over a third, which again almost. Almost forty percent. It's actually thirty-eight percent. That would be almost forty percent of the U.S. voting population. Now it would be hard to poll this. You know, you'd have to take a poll of everybody in America. And I, and look, I'm going to tell you, a lot of people would say, "Nah, we don't need that. We, we like the United States. We like the U.S." I mean, this is something that I think that most Americans, again, the majority still, are, or would be against this. But the fact that it's moving more in this direction from third you know 30 years ago 3 decades ago is significant maybe in another 30 years you'll see that number tip over 50% i think that it's going to take something major like an economic uh, an economic uh, disaster which i mean we're looking at uh, <laughs> runaway inflation for the foreseeable future you're talking about the government going in and bailing out banks now again which i think a lot of people on the left and the right are going to be upset about why would you but I mean, the left is doing it right now this is the thing they're going to have to own this stuff They're going to have to own the bailouts. They're going to have to own all these things in the future. They're going to have to own it. That's not saying the Republicans would have done anything different. We know that they probably wouldn't. I mean, look, uh, George W. Bush was responsible for the TARP, right? And the Republicans. Back during the last economic crisis in the early 2000s, that was the Republicans. And uh, it was said, don't do it back then. But they did it anyways. And of course, for the last 20 years, we've had a Congress spending like it has no limits on anything. Uh, So, I mean, the the Republicans were part of that, too. When Biden correctly criticizes the Republicans for for spending like crazy, he's correct. He's not incorrect about that. The Republicans have done it. The Democrats do it, too, though. So we've got no fiscal restraint in in the Congress, which, of course, is the main driving engine of inflation. Because in order to spend all this money, they have to print it the government is obligated once it says it has to spend it it has to spend it and so to do that if there's no money in circulation you print it that's going to be the real crisis in the future and if we have that kind of economic crisis i think that this could be more pronounced everyone's talking about the social issues right now and the and the culture war and that is something that people are concerned about you know what is what is a leftist california going to do to my state what is a conservative texas going to do to my state you look at it i mean when, uh, when people on the left complain about textbooks, it's because of Texas and their oversized influence on U.S. textbooks. Um, this is what they're concerned about, right? So, if we just didn't have national policies, well, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have anybody talking about this. Again, federalism solves the entire problem. But that's what we really need. It's why I've been surprised about Jamil Bowie saying that we need federalism because, I mean, maybe he actually gets it. I don't think he does. I think it's convenient federalism, but... Regardless, that's really what needs to happen. If lefties want to, uh, want to stabilize things, they just need to stop being nationalists. And same thing with people on the right. So it says, uh, continues, Republicans are more keen on splitting up the superpower than Democrats. A quarter of GOP voters want to break away and form a, light, a right-leaning nation compared to only 16% of Democrats. I mean, this makes sense. A quarter to 16%. The numbers are closer, though, than what I would expect. 16%. So you've got the, the people on the left that recognize that maybe they don't want to live in a United States with people on the right. Uh, but it, it's always been like this. You see, this is, the, this is what people don't realize. Even in the American War for Independence, you only had about a third at the most, and this is why I say that third is significant. You only had a third at the most who were pushing for independence. A third. About a third was against it and about a third was in the middle. So these numbers, numbers, again, are significant because if you look at those movements, you only needed about twenty-five to thirty percent to really get the ball rolling. You look at what's happening with some of the other issues in America. There's just a small number of malcontents that are driving all this stuff, like for example, taking down Confederate monuments. It's a small number of malcontents that are doing this. It's not a it's not a large number of people, it's a very small number of malcontents, but they have oversized influence. So if a third of people really wanted to get active in this and push it, you would start seeing some real waves about this because we know from historical examples about a third were in favor of independence in 1776. Now they had the political class on board which is a little more difficult right now. The political class in America generally is not in favor of this. And I talked about this uh on the issue of Texas secession and Missouri nullification, but Texas secession—when you have, you know, Republicans in Texas saying, "No, oh, this is treason," you see that's the problem. The Lincolnian myth really is the problem; it's the obstacle in all of it, uh, and that—that that will be the issue no matter where we're talking about in what state. You've got you're going to have Lincolnites on the left and the right saying these exact same things. So the piece says the fifth of Americans who want to split is far less than is needed to make it politically viable. Not really. Again, if you look at voting age population, we're talking 38%. That's not. 20%, yeah, if it was just 20% and you're just looking overall. But if you drill down, if you did a deep dive on these numbers and drill down into different areas and different states, it's probably more significant in other states, and I think Texas is one of them. Uh, but, uh, it's not insignificant. It's not far less as needed. It's actually getting in that area where you can really start having this conversation. And I'm serious about that. 30% is really all you need of the voting age population to make this a viable discussion. Now again, would Americans support it overall? I don't know. Uh, I think in some states they would. But nonetheless shows how ever, how ever more conservatives and liberals are fed up with sharing a country with each other. Again, This is the whole point. If we had real federalism, you wouldn't have to, quote-unquote, share a country. You have your state, we have our state. All we're doing is sharing foreign policy and trade, international trade. That's all we're doing. That was the entire design of the United States government. And we know this because they said it over and over and over again. I am going to review, maybe this week, this uh, Allison LaCroix book, on federalism, because her conclusion she is a she is a legal scholar, uh, a not on the right. She's a legal scholar that says federalism was the core of American political philosophy in the founding period. It's what drove the general consensus in America in the 18th century. They all believed it, which is the whole point to avoid stuff like this. I mean, that's that's the key. So the piece says, On President's Day, the Trump acolyte was decidedly unimpressed with President Joe Biden's surprise visit to Ukraine, saying in a tweet that it was time for the U.S. to be divided. We need a national divorce, a Georgia Republican posted on social media. We need to separate by red states and blue states and shrink the federal government, she insisted. Everyone I talk to says this. From the sick and discussing woke culture issues shoved down our throats to the Democrat, Democrats' traitorous America last policies, we are done, Taylor Greene insisted on Republican sentiment toward the opposing party. Ipsos found that support for splitting was higher among men, people who make $50,000 or less each year, and those living in the south and west of the country. Now that's, look at what that says, right? So, higher among men. Uh, I mean, there's, there's been all kinds of data on this. If you were to just have men vote in the United States, Joe Biden wouldn't even sniff the executive office. Democrats would be in the, in the small, I mean, a very small minority uh, in the national, national, quote unquote, government, in the federal government. Uh, and men would be much more likely to agree with this. Uh, when you add just women, then you would have a blue United States. I mean it would be it would be bluer than blue. Right. So one of the I mean these are these are really interesting dynamics, demographic dyna- dynamics, which take which to take place in the United States every election cycle. Fifty thousand are left. So these are the these are the stupid poor people that just want to get away from the from the other people. Now, why is it the people with more money would see a breakup as dangerous, well, because they could tend to lose money, right? I mean, so people with nothing to lose, they don't have their, they're not invested in all the banks and all the things. They just, they just want to be left alone, right? They got their, they're just going to work. They want to send their kids to school. They just want to be left alone. These are the people that, again, West and South, very independent-minded people. Even, I mean, even if they are tied into the system in one way, they don't fully understand all that. But it doesn't matter. Very independent people who want simply be left alone. They just want to go to work. They want to put their kids in school. They don't want their kids to be indoctrinated by a bunch of leftist hacks in school. They don't want any of that. They just want to live their lives. And again, the South and the West, that's that kind of cavalier borderlands culture that's been around since the 17th century in America. If you read Albion Seed, it's one book I recommend everybody gets and reads. You'll see where all this comes from, right? We have not left those cultural dynamics of the 17th century. They are still over, they are still there around us all day long, every day. That culture matters, and of course, in the North, you don't have that culture. You have the Puritan culture, which a Puritan never found an issue that um, they didn't like, where they could, you know, ram something that they want in their mind, down someone's throat, right? They're the most imperialistic people in in America. They want everyone to live like them. It's the city upon a hill people. This is what they want. If you're not going to do it, well, then you can't leave. There are no serious proposals in Washington to carve up the country, but secessionist moves in some states have gathered momentum in recent years. Well, of course there's no serious proposals in Washington. They're not going to do that. There never would be a serious proposal in Washington. Ever, the, the the Washington can't do it. It doesn't have the authority. Now, if you want to follow the Texas v. White logic, and say, well, the Congress can boot states out. I mean, I've, I've said this. I mean, Republicans, conservatives are really are really serious about this. They could go to Congress and they could say, we're going to boot California out of the union. But then you wouldn't have Speaker McCarthy, right? So you're not going to get that. You wouldn't have some of these conservatives in the, in the Congress, quote-unquote conservatives in the Congress, from California. They wouldn't be there. So they're not going to support it. You wouldn't have Victor Davis Hanson, for example, insisting that California leave the Union. He wouldn't do it. He's from California. So that's never going to happen. What has to, It has to happen from the bottom up, which was, of course, always possible. As early as 1794, you had New Englanders talking about it. If it was illegal, in their mind, they wouldn't have been talking about it. You see, that's the issue. A campaign to have rural eastern Oregon effectively secede from the blue state and join more conservative Idaho has gained traction, with politicians in both states expressing support for shifting the border. That's more likely to happen than anything else. I've talked about that on this program before. I think that is something that's possible. If Because, look, uh, Oregon, blue Oregon doesn't want those red staters in there. I mean, they really don't. They think this is a poor, depressed area. Get them out. We'll send them over to Idaho, and Idaho, being more conservative, would take them. You, I mean, I think these kind of things, redrawing state borders, would be possible. The problem is, you can't. I mean, in in most states, you can't really do that. You have little blue enclaves, like in Georgia. You've got Atlanta, uh, and that's about it. You've got Atlanta and the surrounding counties. That's about it. You have maybe down into Macon. You've got a little more. You've got some blue areas, but. You've got Atlanta. So, um, what could you do? I mean, could could you? uh, And and Republicans are completely opposed to as they did this. uh, Governor Kemp, you could have split off Buckhead from Atlanta, which would have caused Atlanta to essentially die, because they would have lost all that revenue from Buckhead. And Kemp opposed it. the 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 Republican governor opposed it. It would have been a way to choke Atlanta. But the Republicans beat it back and it's no longer on on the table again. So that's the issue, right? Republicans are as much a problem in this as Democrats. A Texas lawmaker this month filed a bill to set a referendum for voters to decide whether the state should explore the possibility of seceding from the United States, a move known as Texas. And I talked about that on this show. Americans increasingly flaunt their differences of opinion over everything from gun rights to trans surgery for kids. I mean, yeah, this is the culture war, right? We're talking about the culture war. But at the end of the day, none of these issues are federal issues. Gun issue, the trans issue, none of that is a federal issue. The states could handle all this stuff. The problem is we get these faux outrage because somebody in some state is doing something we don't like. That's the Puritan in American politics. Recent polling shows deep polarization between red and blue states. Voters head to the polls to cast their vote, but do most Americans want a national divorce, as one poll indicates? Maybe. The last time the states separated based on ideology was the American Civil War. Based on ideology. The last time states separated based on ideology. What ideology? See, they don't really understand. What ideology was there? Ideology. Based on ideology. Uh, that's, a, that's a really loaded term. It's based on ideology, so I guess you would the, the paper would say, well, a slave, a pro-slavery ideology, or, or uh, you know, anti-slavery ideology. I don't know what ideology they're talking about, um, but certainly the ideology for the South, quote unquote, was the federal government was going to abuse power. And they were worried about that. No matter what the issue was, they were worried about a federal abuse of power. That's what it comes down to. It's power. And it wasn't ideology. It was power. A concern about power. That started on April 12, 1861 and ravaged the nation for more than four bloody years with an average of 500 deaths a day. But the sheer fact that one-fifth of the country is open to the potential shows the growing sentiment of resentment voters feel toward the opposing party. A lot goes into deciding whether a state is red or blue, like recent elections, current leaders, and historical voting records of those living in the jurisdiction. Currently, twenty nine of the fifty states are led by Republican governors, and twenty four states have voted for Republicans in at least three of the of four three or four of the last presidential elections. When just talking taking into account the twenty twenty two Senate elections, twenty-seven states voted red. So over half are red. Not much more than half. 29 states of 50 states. So you got 21 blue states, 29 red states. All in all, the, the country would be split pretty evenly with a slight lean toward Republican states outnumbering Democratic states. The population disparity would be huge, however, with the denser populated states leaning Democrat and ones with more land mass but fewer people leaning Republican. And this is where the Democrats complain about the Senate all the time, but it shows you clearly that we have a federal government, right? It was the federal feature. We have a union of states. A union, of it's a federal republic. A republic of republics. This is how it was sold to the states the entire time. We're not going to create, we're not going to consolidate, we're not going to make a national government. This is a federal republic. It's how republic. It's how the, the proponents of the document sold the Constitution over and over again. All right. So, again, this is the 800th episode, thinking locally and acting locally, looking at uh, this issue um, and the way that we have... Uh, politics in America now shaking out. As I said from the beginning, federalism would solve a lot of this. Uh, federalism would solve a lot of this. We we wouldn't have to worry about what some blue state or red state is doing if you're in the opposite states. It's why decentralization and federalism was the entire key to the Union. Nobody in 1787 and 1788 wanted somebody, some other state and some other section controlling their state. I go back to that Rutledge quote, in the Philadelphia Convention, when a when a negative of uh, state negative was proposed, a federal government had a, had a negative on state legislation was proposed, and Rutledge said that alone ought to damn the Constitution. There were people that wanted it. There were people that wanted the central authority to be able to veto state laws, and Rutledge says that alone ought to damn the Constitution. That would be it. He wouldn't be in favor of the Constitution at all, and I think that was the general consensus uh, a, across the United States at the time. Uh, it didn't make it out of the Philadelphia Convention. It was defeated thoroughly. And I think most Americans would not have been favoring favor that. And you look at the ratification debates, which is the originalist papers class at McClanahan Academy. You look at those debates and you look at the arguments in favor of it. You're seeing federalism dominate the discussion. All right. See you tomorrow on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.